0: Thanks for coming. Um, welcome to a new series of Parsha in my life. Um, this is, I think, round seven. Maybe we're round eight. Could be. This is, I think, this is the eighth round of Parsha in my life. And um, it's very exciting. And thanks for everybody that has been part of this journey over the last seven years. And we begin number eight exploring the Parsha. As I mentioned, year to year, we hope that uh, as the Torah is infinite and as we go around the Parsha, we're going in a spiral as we're going higher and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper, and very as we hopefully will converge the Torah that we teach over here with the Torah of Mashiach, uh, which will elevate the Torah to a whole new thing. So that's really, really exciting. Um, The dedications for tonight's class. So we've had... Tonight's class was dedicated by Mrs. Miriam Fishman, and this is in honor of her father's yard site, Tuvia Velvel Ben-Mayer, whose yard site is the 27th of Tishrei. So it was, I think, on Sunday. May his neshama have a very, very... No, on Shabbos it was. May his neshama have a very great aliyah to the greatest, greatest of heights. May he channel lots of brachis to you, to your family, for Yesh- brachos, yeshuas, and refuas, and only only good things, and nachas from the children and grandchildren, and much, much, much goodness. Another dedication was by Shirley Perlis, and this is in honor by Shirley and Shelly Perlis. This is in honor of Shelly's mother's site. Penina Sylvia, Bashmuel. I don't know the exact date, but may her neshama have a great aliyah, higher and higher and higher, and lots of brachos for the entire mishpacha, in the material and in the spiritual and only good. Another dedication we had tonight was by Levi and Mina Benish. Um, they used to live here. They moved to Chicago. They least to Davin over here. And this is in honor of both their birthdays. Mina's birthday was on Isruchag, Chovda'ale Tishrei. Levi's birthday is tonight, the 30th of Tishrei. May Hashem give them both a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful good year with much mazel and happiness and goodness, and the nachas from their child, and eventually children, and only, only simcha, and only bracha, and pranasa barchava, and, and, um, and much mazel. Uh, last but not least, we have a CD sponsor uh, this week. This is a dedication for the CD. Uh, this was by Dr. Bernie Mandara, and this was in honor of his brother's site that is going to be on Gimel and I think. David ben Yecheskel, all of Ashalem. May he have a spectacular aliyah. May the shir and the CD be a big for his neshama. And may he channel lots of brachas down to you, to your family, and be a mail for you. And uh, uh, may uh, very, very, very soon, Be'ezrus Hashem with the coming of Mashiach, um, we will be reunited with all those who went up there temporarily and will be coming down very, very soon, Be'ezrus Hashem. Okay. Um, Parsha in my life is the name of this class and um, that's the idea of the Parsha is the idea of the class is to infuse vitality, life, meaning into the story of the Parsha. We get to read it every year over and over again the Torah sometimes it feels a little dry and a little disconnected so in order for it to be a Parsha in my life, to inspire your week, to inspire your life to inspire your everyday living, we have to dig deep Because knowledge and depth reveal the light and the energy of the Torah. Now, what is relevant to us right now? What is relevant to us right now, which we're walking around and daydreaming, but the emes and the truth, what is really, 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 really relevant to all of us right now is the coming of Mashiach, Because that is what is happening. And whether we're tuning into it or not, we keep our head in the sand, That does not change the reality. And that is that we have merited to be the generation that is witnessing, not just a generation. When we say generation, we can speak about, ah, it might happen in 20 years from now. It's not happening in 20 years from now. There is something happening right now in the world that we need to be aware of. And that is that the world is changing in front of our eyes with the greatest metamorphosis ever. A total transformation. And that is that the coming of Mashiach is happening based on the testimony of the greatest Sadiqim and based on the current events, looking in the world and seeing everything shaking and quaking. And um, so that is a clear sign that we are now in the midst of the the what we call the, the process, the process of gaula the process of redemption has already begun. The turmoil in the Holy Land and the land of Israel is a It's not just another flare-up. This is the coming of Mashiach. Now, um, again, on what am I basing that? I'm not a prophet, and I don't speak to God, and I don't know, I don't have communication from above. Um, I am basing this on, um, first of all, the statements of Higiyaz Man Gulaschem that was told to us by Tzaddikim Kadoshe Elyon, the holy, holy Tzaddikim, who have told already the world that we're entering the era of Mashiach. And these are tzaddikim from all across the board of Jewish, from Sephardic, a great Kabbalists and leaders, to uh, Lithuanian, great Rosh Hashivists and leaders, to the great Hasidic masters, primarily the Lubavitcher Rebbe who had told the world a while ago already that from the year 1990 we have really entered into the Mashiach zone. Now, based on... Now, also looking at current events, we see many things happening in the world which are astonishing and in many ways very painful and scary. Um, But here's the thing. If anybody lived in any time of history, you can always point to certain events and there's turmoil and here there was, you know, this happening and that happening and say Mashiach is coming. And we've been doing that for the last 2,000 years. Jews always got excited whenever anything was happening as the Mashiach is coming. That's why so many of us got so burnt out that we don't believe anybody anymore. And like, no matter what you say, people are so tired already that you don't want to. Oh yeah, I heard that a long time ago. I heard that. I heard that. Then I heard that. Then. I heard that by the Six Day War. We heard it by the Yom Kippur War. We heard it by the Holocaust. We heard it by the, We heard it. We heard it by the First World War. We always thought Mashiach was coming. It didn't happen. So then, So so it's not because of the events that are happening. It's because of the internal, because we're living based on every calculation. We've reached already the time that Mashiach has to come. We're already in the end of the sixth millennium, the, after the, the, the fourth quarter of the sixth millennium. It's Friday afternoon, based on the cosmic clock that we once spoke about. Mashiach has to come already. And based on all Kabbalistic, we spoke a lot about in the last year, how last year, the year 5775, going into 5776, is the most appropriate, most opportune time for the coming of Mashiach. Not just another year that's an opportune time, but because the time of Mashiach should have been here already. So, whatever, whatever is causing the delay, we don't understand, but we know we're in the, the Moshe Mashiach. Now, the question is, why aren't all the blessings here yet? Why isn't the third base standing already there? So, we don't exactly know. But when we, when we know that that's the situation, and then when we look at the world and see certain things we gotta raise our eyebrows and say wow this is really happening and it's important to know that because we want to be ready and we don't want to be caught unprepared because this is why the world was created for in the first place this is the ultimate purpose of everything everything everything, everything exciting that ever happened is all for this moment everything is a prelude for this moment it's not like just another thing, oh Mashiach it's gonna be nice it's not, it's not just nice. This is everything. So when we realize that, we realize, wow, I mean, this is, this is big stuff. And, and I need to be ready for this. So I just want to point out a few things that I've noticed before we begin the parsha class um, that I've noticed happening in the world that, again, this is not said by tzaddikim, and these are only my own thoughts. And I mentioned some of these thoughts already here not by this class but on Shabbos and other times so some of you might have heard it already but I think it's important that people realize so again these are just my feelings my thoughts my take on certain events that have happened but again I feel that they're real uh, and then again uh, you know you can take it with a grain of salt and do with it whatever you want with it but these are just things that are exciting me and hopefully going to get me to prepare for Mashiach which I haven't even begun to do myself so I'm sharing it with you, so maybe I'll finally, it'll finally click in my head and say, "Hey, this is real. Let's 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 really become a mensch." There's no time to become a mensch tomorrow. We have to become a mensch today. That's the idea. Okay. So now, just a few things that are interesting to to point out. Number one, this year, um, you know, besides the the general you know happenings that are happening that are really shocking, which took place over the last couple of months and. Just and especially just over the last six weeks, where you see a certain geopolitical landscape has totally changed in the world. We're at least in the Middle East, where, you know, the United States that has always been the foundation of stability in the world, That always had its like and everybody was kind of it had its 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 fists down, and everybody kind of was had the awe and the respect and people and what we might say the bad guys were afraid to mess. Ultimately people were afraid to mess. And now, the United States seems to be totally pushed to the side, totally powerless. And Putin is flexing his muscles and doing whatever he wants. And everybody, see, there's this great vacuum and this great emptiness. And it's all happening right in the neighborhood, right around, right in the vicinity of the Holy Land. So this is, this is really something, something big. Now, where this is going to lead... Hopefully, with God's mercy, it's, no one is going to be harmed and no one is going to be hurt. But it's just a shocking thing that you see suddenly out of nowhere this massive shift and change that happened, and and like and and, and the and you know we know the 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 Pentagon and the and and, and the State Department and uh, America was caught by surprise. Like, what happened? Obviously, the policies and things that were done before have led to this. But this is this is huge. Of course, the nuclear pact that was done with Iran which everybody knows is unbelievably horrific and ridiculous, is something massive and something great, and a threat to Israel, to the Jewish people, in a very, very big way. So that also is monumental. That's huge. Okay. So these are two things that are there. The sages tell us when you see nations rubbing against each other, when you see Malchia, big nations, rubbing um, and, and threatening each other, Wait for the footsteps of Mashiach. It doesn't say when you see war, but when you see the agitation. And if there's ever a time that there is agitation going on, like people are in big, big, big nations and big, big empires, this is something to think about. We also know what the Al Kitabani talks about the year of the coming of Mashiach, that um, the king of Persia is going to go and threaten the world, and everybody's going to get scared. All well, that's happening, you know, the threat of, of of nuclear, right? That's coming from Persia. So that's interesting um, it's also mentioned earlier again we have to remember one thing we're at the conclusion of a Shemitah year which the conclusion of the Shemitah year is um, Shemitah is the sabbatical year which we just concluded the beginning of the year of Hakel, which is a time of gathering of all the Jewish people when the king would gather all the Jewish people to Jerusalem so ultimately it means Mashiach will gather the Jewish people that's why it says in the conclusion of Shemitah Mashiach comes so the interesting thing is when these things happen Rosh Hashanah time of a year that's beginning. This see things speak much louder when they happen in Rosh Hashanah time, because that's when God is kind of sending messages to the world. It's the beginning of the year. Now I want to point out to a few very interesting events that took place right at the turn at the beginning of this year, which is which is which are I which, which are real shockers. Number one, we are now in the Galut, in the exile of Edom. Now. In many books, and many Sfarim, at Roshim, there's a lot, and I'm not going to quote them here. There is a lot to say that the Gullus Edom is not going to end with Edom. It's going to end with Ishmael, which are the Arabs. So the end of Gullus Edom concludes with a period of time that the Jewish people will suffer from the Arabs. Now, just like when we went out of Egypt, before God punished a nation that oppressed the Jewish people, He first punished their God. So right before Rosh Hashanah, two events happened that were really shockers. Big things happened in the Arab world. Something to do with kind of the God of Islam. Now the God of Islam is really Hashem. That's They believe in the same God that we believe in. But they're in their, in their place of worship. So the two big events that happened in Mecca, which are really, really something that is not to... Be, and it, the fact that it happens right before Rosh Hashanah at the conclusion of a sabbatical at the end of Shemitah is very telling and it's saying something number one is this huge crane collapses in mecca out of what in the mosque like right over there at the heart if you're talking about you know um, a ground zero god is sends an arrow boom now i'm not as jews we don't celebrate death and we don't clap our hands with hashar when people die so it's sad that people were killed and i'm sure and it's possible that many of these worshipers who went to worship are going there innocently and with a goodwill to serve and to connect to God. I'm not talking about the loss of life. That is painful and that is sad. I'm talking about the message that involves around an event like that happening in the, at the nucleus of Yishmael's palace, so to speak. That it, this, the, And, and, and it, it was an act of God because what knocked the crane down were either powerful winds or lightning. Now, that's, that's clear. That's so from above. These powerful would suddenly come, throw down this thing right in Mecca, right on the... It actually happened on the English date on 9-11. And it was a bin Laden family crane. That's really nuts. That's something. It's, it's not something to look away. Look it up. Read the story. Number two, before the Jewish people went out of Egypt, the Egyptians were fighting the Egyptians. and They killed each other. Now, in addition to what's been going on in the last year or so, where there is such havoc and such craziness happening, where the Sunnis and the Shiites and the Shiites and the Sunnis and everybody's killing everybody else, but in addition to that, there is an act of again of God, where where, where, where from within their, their own ranks there was a death that was came about as a result of people killing their own, not intentionally. That's what that's what that's where God's hand comes in. In the grand stampede that happened, which, again, in Mecca, right? Whatever they have, the ceremony of the stoning of the devil. So, and, 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 and you're talking about the amount of people. is real shocking. Now it's, I think, up to close to 1,500 people. And again, again, the loss of life is sad, and we don't celebrate that. But the, 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 there's something happening. That's all I'm pointing to, is that there's something broke. Something was broken in the power of Islam. That's all I'm saying. That happened right before Rosh Hashanah at the Mitzvah Shemitah. Something to be noticed. The other interesting thing to be noticed is the other story that's huge that happened right Rosh Hashanah time is the migrants that are all leaving Syria. And hundreds of thousands of migrants are going, and they're and they're leaving Syria, and they're going to Europe. Now. Obviously, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a surprise that people lasted so long. I mean, this crazy civil war has been going on, and so many people have been killed. Um, but the interesting thing is, like, while well, I'm thinking about this, and it occurred to me, why are they all vacating? And the idea is very interesting. When Mashiach is going to come, the Jewish people are coming back to the land of Israel. The land of Israel is much larger than the current-day Israel. See, then people, the whole world has complaints to the Jewish people that we've taken land that we have too much, and we should go back to the 67 borders. Well, Mashiach is going to come and the whole thing is going to change. The land of Israel is going to spread and be much, much larger. It's going to be the largest it ever was, even more than in the first temple and the second temple. And it's going to include definitely big chunks of Syria, maybe even all the way up to Iraq. Now, I don't know exactly, I'm not familiar with the geographic exact uh, uh, statement of the of the Torah. It's in Yeheskel in the Prophet Yeheskel, where he describes the borders of the land of Israel. Huge. But definitely... Syria and at least I'm not again I can't say the whole Syria, but big including Damascus, are all part of the future land of the of, of the Jewish people. Now when Mashiach is going to come, instead of Mashiach having to be busy of relocating all the Syrians to make place for the Jewish people to move in into that land because it's going to be a Jewish homeland, so God has provided a miracle before, and that is that everybody picked themselves up and vacated and left. So that the land is empty. I mean it's not empty yet but a great amount of the people of the population have left and it seems like the only guys that are left over there are just the bad guys who are killing each other so anybody else just vacated so that what? so that when time comes and the Jewish people come back to the land of Israel we need, and the funny thing is and the strange thing is they're going to Germany why are they going to Germany? so I found something really really interesting someone had told me a while ago in Navi in the prophet Ovadia Avadia is one of the prophets, and he prophesies about the fall of Edom. So in the very, very conclusion of the prophet Avadia, it says, as fellows, hold on over here, it says that um, it speaks about the of the Jewish people that was in Canaan, and so is the last Pasuk Chaf in, in, in Avadia. So the Radak, I just want to read to you a Radak, our David Kamhi, is one of the early commentaries on the on the Chumash, together with the Evan Ezra, and they say like this, Though, we have a tradition. This is a Jewish tradition going back, way back. Kibene Eretz Almanya, the people of the land Almanya, Hayo Kenanim, they are Canaanites. Kikeshapana Kenanim b'pnei Yeshua, the Kenanim, Kenanim are the Canans who lived in the land of Canaan. They are the people who, are the, who now are the people of Almanya. Now, what's Almanya? He says K'moshek Yeshua. Who, who are these people? They are the ancient Canaanites who left when Joshua brought the Jewish people into the land of Israel. The Canaanites vacated Canaan and ran away. And where did they go? They came to Europe. And where did they go? The Eretz Almaniyah, and the and Eretz Ashkenaz. that's called the land of Germany. Until today, the they're called the Canaanites. Interesting, I guess in his days, they still had a memory of it. The Ebenezer says the same thing. He says, I heard from great people. These are the these are the Canaanites. These are the ancient residents who lived in the land of Israel who ran away. Could be that's where the animosity against the Jewish people is in Germany that has been embedded in them for thousands of years as they've been kicked out of their land way back then. I don't know. But this is what he says. So that makes perfect sense. If that's where they went the first time when they vacated, So where are they going to go now when they're vacating again? Also to Germany. And the interesting thing is that the very fact that all these Arabs or Syrians are going to Germany and to Europe is causing a lot of Jews to rethink if they want to stay in Europe. So that's causing a lot of Jews to come to the land of Israel. So you see what's happening over here. This amazing thing happening right in front of our eyes. It's huge. Now one other thing that I thought was, it occurred to me just today, and this is why I'm talking about all this today, because this is just a phenomenal thing. This whole uprising that just started right now, and again, Rosh Hashanah time, this whole uprising that is now, which they're afraid, God forbid, might turn into a third antifada, and it's hard to say that it hasn't yet, it did already. This whole rest, this whole uh, chaos in, in Israel. What's the cause of it? So Netanyahu today, he was speaking, and he was begging, and he was saying that the Arab, that the whatever, the, the leaders, have to stop inciting the people with a lie. What's the lie? The lie is that they're inciting the people is that the Jewish people want to take over the Temple Mount and they want to build a temple. And that is why... Now he's saying, we're not saying that. There's no one in the government that's saying that. Stop spreading this lie. So the question is, where is it coming to them? This idea, suddenly they're all panicking. Suddenly the whole Arab world is up in arms that the Jewish people want to take over the temple. What's going on? So the sages tell us, and we know this, that even when a person doesn't have information in their mind, there is something called the gut feeling. And the gut feeling is something to do with the angel of that nation up there. When the angel up there, the sages say, even though they don't see, their mazel sees. The mazel is the angel of the nation up there. So when the angel up there has the information, and he's scared, so that causes panic down here. So as much as the Jewish government will deny, the Israeli government will deny, say, we're not even planning this, this is not. And even though you might argue and say, well, it's because Jews lately in the last year or two have been going up on the Temple Mount and have been, you know, going there to pray a little more. Okay, that's not enough of this incitement. And another thing, why are Jews going to the Temple Mount more? I'm not going into halachically if it's permitted or not. Rabbis have dealt with this, I'm not dealing with that. But the reason why Jews are going up to the Mount, why just suddenly, we've had Israel already for the last so many years, because now is the time. Now is where the the, the the mountain is calling us. It's saying, you know what? It's 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 inviting the Jewish people onto the mountain, and it's ready to shake off whatever is there. And the Arab world feels that and senses that, and it's making them crazy. And, it, and that's why they're going, God forbid, they're going wild. Shem should protect all the Jewish people, and there shouldn't be any more injuries. But to me, it's very, very clear that we're witnessing the end happening now. In front of our eyes, our prayer and our request is that it should be with kindness, with mercy, don't have to have any bloodshed, neither on the Jewish side or on the other side. And if God can make a miracle, He can convert the hearts even of the worst people to become... Uh, that That would be the nicest miracle. We don't, we're not looking for death, we're not looking for millions of people dying, all of that Armageddon stuff and all of that scary things will leave to those who enjoy that kind of drama. We the Jewish people are asking for a peaceful return of the Beis Amigdash and God's kingship to be restored to the Holy Land and to the whole world. So now, being that that is the 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 what's happening in the world, or at least what I think is happening in the world, um, uh, so then we have to live with the times. And living with the times means today means living with Mashiach and preparing ourselves for the immediate arrival of Mashiach. So let's try to find Mashiach in the parsha. Okay, we can study the parsha, and what's the connection of parsha's Noach to Mashiach? So at first you look at the at parsha's Noach and you look at Mashiach and you say, wow, you couldn't have had two opposites. In parsha's Noach, you have the world in the most corrupted state ever. The world's a total mess, totally corrupted to the point that God is so is so disa- is so frustrated with his world that he has to destroy it, bring a huge flood and destroy all life on it. When the coming of Mashiach is when God's the total opposite. When the world reaches its total perfection, and and all nations live in peace and in harmony, and it's there's no and everybody serving God, and everything and 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 the world will be a very moral and holy world. So you can't have a greater contrast: the disturbing world of the flood, and the godly, beautiful, pristine, perfect world of the days of Mashiach. Um, but looking a little deeper there is a very, very strong Mashiach connection. And that is what one of the most important elements of the Mashi- of Mashiach's world, of the era, of the Messianic era, is that when Mashiach is going to come, they will finally achieve what has been the aspiration of mankind, or at least the good people in mankind from when the world is created, and that is world peace. There will finally be a time when layisagoy al when nation will not lift the sword up another nation and as the prophet tells us that all weapons will be destroyed not that they will be destroyed they will be converted into plowshares which means weapons will be used to enhance people's lives to enhance uh, food distribution and whatever it is to all the hungry so many people in the world that are starving, that need food. So all the airplanes that are going to be dropping bombs are going to be used to drop huge packages of food. Interesting, the Lubavitcher Rebbe did point out when when the American were going into Somalia, I think it was, and they were dropping food drops for the people, he said that was the beginning of the prophecies of of Isaiah, of Mashiach. I mean, obviously, he said that 20-something years ago, but he says that's the beginning of it. Because weapons that are meant to be Weapons of war have become weapons of food distribution. Rather, agents to distribute food, to give life, not to God for bid, bid, bring destruction. So um, when Mashiach comes, there isn't going to be any war. There isn't going to be any more animosity. There isn't going to be any more jealousy. As Maimonides discusses the beautiful, harmonious, brotherly world that is going to be when Mashiach comes. That peace that is going to reign in the days of Mashiach forever and ever, a true and lasting peace. And it's interesting, always before truth comes out, there is always a mispresentation of that that comes first, a twisted version of that very thing that comes first. Just like when any food grows, the peel, the external, the chaff, grows first and then the fruit grows. So when time comes for peace to be put into the world, a true, real, permanent, lasting peace, a godly peace in the world, it's first preceded by a fake and, and, um, and, and uh, a, a superficial peace that isn't real, that can't last. And the world is trying to oppose a peace upon the Jewish people, so to speak, to make peace through all these various different ways, which is not based on anything true or anything real just based on giving in and giving in and giving in, which has just brought suffering and devastation to Israel and brought all the terrorism to the world. Because the more one a peace, so we think like these Oslo Accords that were so good, that's actually the source of all the terrorism, not just terrorism around Israel. All terrorism, because that's what fed into it. That's exactly what fed it. Because when you give murderous people what they want, so then their appetite only grows. So that did not lead to any peace to any real lasting peace. Real peace will only come when all of creation and all of the world will recognize one God and will serve one God shoulder to shoulder peacefully as it will be when Mashiach will come. Now, that peace is going to be so powerful and so strong and so so convincing that it is going to convince even the animal world. That even animals, it's going to change the nature of animals. As discussed in Yeshaya and Isaiah, Perak Yud Aleph, where the Navi discusses the nature of the animals after Mashiach comes. And it says that when Mashiach is going to come, the gor ze'evim um, keves, the wolf will, lie, will live with the lamb, the and a leopard with a, with a goat, the ego lukfir umari and a little calf with a, with a young lion, the kot and a little child will be playing with the calf and the lion, and a cow with a bear, terena yachtov will. Graze together, Together, they will play with their. They will frolic with their, with their children, with their babies. The aray. And a little child will play at the at the hole of a python, and of a, and of a venomous snake. So basically, all the predatory, murderous, uh, venomous nature and character uh, of what we th- seem to be such cruelty which we can't condemn anybody because we know this is their nature of an animal, yet this nature will cease from the animals and they will all live in peace and harmony with each other. And the lion is going to eat, it's another, it's another verse that says, And a lion will eat um, straw like cattle. So he won't be killing anymore. And then to conclude, They won't do any bad and they won't do any harm my entire holy mountain and this holy mountain refers to the entire world because the whole world is going to be a holy mountain for God so they won't do any more harm well everybody Um, why? what is going to affect this great transformation this metamorphosis in the animal kingdom and again this is going to be also of course by humans The source of this tranquility and peace and harmony is because the world will be filled with knowledge of God. Now this peace has yet to be seen when Mashiach will come, but it has been experienced in the world only one time in history. There has been one time when we had a little preview of this messianic state, of this harmonious coexistence, this perfect world where everybody lives in peace and in harmony together, and no one is biting anybody's tail off, or anybody's nose off, or anybody's head off. Um, when was this? When was this uh, accomplished? In the ark, in Noah's floating ark, when Noah had an ark and he took all the mammals, all the creatures, all the insects, every single type of snake was brought into that ark. The Torah tells Noah to bring every species Besides the fish But everything else Of bird, predatory bird Predatory animals Every single creature went onto that ark And the ark wasn't that large It was about 475 feet long It's, 500, it's been around 500 feet long the, the Torah says 300 cubits long 50 cubits wide so it's about 500 feet long, four, four, by 475. Um, and then it's about 75 feet wide, three stories. And the animals only have one floor. So you have all these animals crammed together. Now, even though they made separate rooms, Rashi says, for each, for, each, for the, the animals. But still, this is like there's, the smallest zoo is bigger than this. And you know, in a zoo, you want to make enough space, a buffer zone between the animals. And here Noah brings in this is this is an amazing. This is even better than the San Diego Zoo. This has every single species in uh, on the planet in, in this small little teva. Even how do they fit there? How can they even fit on the teva? Forget about j- just just even if they're cramped, is is a mystery. Okay, this is obviously some godly thing that it happened. But the fact that they're living so close together, and there and there's not and it's not a bloody war going on amongst the animals. What happened? Mysteriously, everybody was in peace with each other. Everybody was in peace with each other. And the reason for that was because the Teva was, was within Mashiach zone. The Teva was that year of the flood, all the inhabitants outside was a destruction. Inside, Mashiach came already. Mashiach was here. It was M- Mashiach territory. It was in the Messianic era. And they were living already after Mashiach comes. They were living Mashiach. So they lived an entire year as best friends. Besides the lion that got angry one time at Noah who didn't feed him. He bit him. Besides that, Rashi says. The lion forgot that Mashiach came for a few moments. And Loah? Oh, so obviously, based on this, we probably would say that the Noah fed the lion um, for grains and, and vegetation. Everybody was vegetarian on the, on the, on the teva. And Noah was also vegetarian because he wasn't permitted to eat meat. God only gave him permission to eat meat afterwards. So it was a vegetarian teva, and everybody was in peace with each other. So world peace was achieved one time in the teva, in the ark. So that is the precursor of Moshiach. And then you have Messianic life. So you have Parshas Noah, is Mashiach world? The question is, what was the mystery? Of that unity, what is the secret of that actus, of that oneness? Well, we said earlier, the peace that is going to be achieved when Mashiach comes is a direct derivative of divine knowledge. The world, as the pasuk says, why will they loyareyu So We say this pasuk. Interesting, we say it when we when we go to tashlich. Anybody remembered when we went on Rosh Hashanah to throw away our sins by the water? We say this pasuk. They will not do any bad, and they will not cause any devastation. Why? Because the world will be filled with, with knowledge of God. So you see clearly that it's knowledge of God that prevents the animals from harming each other, and ultimately, of course, prevents also human beings from going to war against each other. Nations live in peace because everybody knows God. So how does that work? And let's try to get a little deeper. Now this is a deep subject, and I can probably, we can talk about it in another hour and a half. We don't have an hour and a half So we'll try to summarize it Very briefly And you also have to say That there's something About the Teva And there is something About the measurements Of the Teva That created that Moshiach world Uh, Because Hashem tells Noach Exactly how to make the Teva He tells him to make it 300 cubits long 500 cubits wide 50 cubits I'm sorry I'm sorry, no 300 cubits long 50 cubits wide 30 cubits tall and then on the top of the teva the roof went slanty but on the very top it there was one cubit ama a flat like the rains would come off the sides they would drain off the sides but on the top there was one cubit now we once years ago in one of the classes spoke about an incredible and we mentioned it last year too an incredible um kabbalistic idea of why these measurements if we have time today which i'm not promising that we'll get to we'll see why these measurements create the Mashiach world. What's the significance of these 300 cubits, 50 cubits, and the like? What is this? By the way, probably the long version of this class will be this Thursday night, for those who are ready to come for the two- to three-hour class. That's Thursday night. We'll do, we'll do this at length. But now we'll try to, try to catch just a snapshot of this, of this idea. To understand all of this, um, let's go to another interesting verse... Which is the secret to all of this, and that is in, say for again, Yeshaya, Peraktes, in Isaiah 9, Pasuk Vav. It says in the Pasuk like this Lamarbe Hamisra, to increase, there will be an increased Hamisra government. Everybody's all, we don't want increased government, right? Government, too much government. But it says, when Mashiach will come, there will be an increased government. Ule in kates and there will be peace, endless peace. Usually an increased government causes a lot of anger, causes a lot of frustration. No one wants a big government, They'd rather have small government, right? But a marba Hamisra, misra increased government, will shalom in ketz, but infinite peace. Al-kisei David is gonna be the throne of David. So the throne of David is gonna be a big ruler, a big government, a big power. But it's, it's going to result. What is it going to result? L'shalim Shalem It's infinite peace. That's the peace that we were talking about before. That the peace is going to burrow through all of creation. We know that up, up there in heaven, we also need peace. Because there are conflicting energies in the, in the cosmos, in the spiritual worlds. There's the, they're the angels of love and they are the angels of discipline. are the angels of fear. the angels of water, angels of fire. And they could be at war with each other. And the heavens can go, you know, like, like the Greeks believe that the gods are at war. So we don't believe in different gods, but we do have different forces of angels and p- beings. And we pray. We say all the time, "Oyse Shalom of the one who makes peace above. So there needs to be peace made in the spiritual God, higher spheres. But we ask Hashem, and we say, "Who yaseh shalom?" God, thank God, keeps keeps them in peace up there. Or else we would, or else it would be a mess. The cosmos would fall apart. If they would go at war with each other, because everything works in this perfect symmetry, as fire, water, wind, earth, everything is in a perfect combination, and that's because everybody respects each other. If they stop respecting each other and they go at each other, what would happen? It would be a total decomposing of all of existence. So what we say, O Shalom and Rome, of God who makes peace above, but the peace doesn't necessarily come down here into mankind. Down here, somehow, the peace gets lost. And since the Tower of Babylon especially, which is the second story this week in the parasha, towards the end of the parasha, man had been at each other's throats since way back then. Different ethnic groups, different different nations, and the like we're, we're, we're killing each other. Always has been a war and and then the, the worst suffering that mankind has suffered are suffering that we did one to each other based on all the bloodshed from war. So we're saying, shalom Roma, peace that's above, shalom aleinu, should finally bring peace down here that the world will have Peace down here in this world, nations will be in peace. So that's what the pasuk is promising—that under King David's dominion, that's going to be when Mashiach comes. This great lemisra Enkets Lamar Baha Misra, with an increased Lshalim will be infinite peace, and it will last forever. Okay. The interesting thing is, this pasuk has a very extraordinary thing. The word Lamar which means to increase. The word Lamarbe is spelled Lamid Mem, Lamid Mem, reish, uh, Sin, Reish He. That's the word. Um, no, I'm sorry, I made a mistake. Lamarbe, the word Lamarbe, I'm sorry. I was looking at the other word. Lamarbe is spelled Lamid Mem, Reish Beis He. Lamarbe. Now we all know that the letter Mem, that's in the olive base, has two versions of mem. Mem comes in two versions. There is an open mem, and then there is a closed mem. The open mem is a mem that's usually, in, that's always in the middle of a word. Whenever there's a mem in the middle of a word, it's an open mem, which means at the bottom, there's a little doorway for the letter mem. In, however, when the mem is found at the end of a word, then the mem is locked. It's called a closed mem. In Yiddish it's called a shlos mem. A locked mem. It's closed. And that's the way it is, in the end of a word you have a closed mem, in the middle of a word you have an open mem. Here, in this pasuk of Lamar, which is a prophecy, which is a messianic prophecy, as we'll soon see, it says in the word, when it will increase, the government, whatever, Misra, the governing power will increase, it says the word Lamarbe, the mem from Marbe is a closed mem. And the sages are asking, why is this mem closed? Which is very, we don't, we don't find anywhere. The, the, Gemara, the Gemara asks us in Mesech the Sanhedrin, how come every mem in all of scripture, in all of Tanakh, is always, an, every mem that's in the middle of a word is always open? And this mem is closed. So the Talmud answers, because God wanted to make Chizkiyahu Mashiach, who was the king of, one of the kings, and Sancherev, God wanted to make Sancherev. Uh, Esser, I forgot how they call him in the English name for him God wanted to make him Gog and Magog and he wanted to bring Mashiach already then but for whatever reason it didn't work out for that reason it became hidden concealed that's why the Mem becomes a closed Mem this was supposed to be this relates to who was supposed to be Mashiach but the Geulah shut and that's why the Geulah closed that's why it's a closed Mem one thing we see from here is that this closed mem of the is something to do with Mashiach. Okay, so the Kabbalists tell us, and this is really a thought from Shneur Zalman of Liadi, which he later has translated through the other uh, Rabbeim, in which they explain this. What I'm saying mainly now is uh, from from the Tzemach Tzedek and from the fifth Chabad Rebbe, the Reb Shalom in which he explains that this is the secret of the powerful transformation and metamorphosis that there is going to be in the universe. This transition from being at war with each other to a world full of peace and harmony is all because of that MEM closing. There's an open MEM and there's a closed MEM. And when the MEM will close, that will cause, the MEM that's usually open, will close, will cause this fantastic transformation in Mashiach's world. And that mem, that state of existence, was what dominated the energy in the teva. It was the closed mem. Actually, it says by, by maybe that could mean, I didn't see this in the discourse, that could be when it says, when Noah went into the teva, one of the things it says right before as the flood started, it says, God locked it. Vayiskar Hashem ba'do, God locked it. God locked that door. He locked the mem from being an open mem to become a closed mem. Now last week in the parasha, we learned something about the opening. The opening of the mem is a very dangerous opening. God says to Cain after Cain um, offers a, a before Cain kills his brother Hevel and when God speaks to Cain and God says to Cain, Um, why are you feeling so bad that I didn't accept your sacrifice your offering? Don't you know that you have an evil inclination and if you you know it's up to you, you will do good. you will score big. If you're not trying hard enough, you, will, uh, you, know, you won't do good. And you should know, he says, you have a yei you have an evil inclination. And he says in interesting words, lepesach chatas Rovates. The sin is crouching by the doorway, by the entrance. What's that entrance that the Kabbalists tell us? That's that open space in the Mem. That's where the sin is crouching. And when we close that, then we'll have a protected world where there won't be any sin anymore, and there won't be any sin, there won't be any war, there won't be any animosity, there won't be any hatred, there won't be any more, the cancer of, of evil, of the sahara has been eliminated from the world forever. So let's understand for now, for a moment, um, what is the secret of the Mem? The open Mem and the closed Mem. So in general, the idea is as follows. Um, the sages say the reason, and elsewhere, in the Sech the Shabbos, the sages say the significance of, of the two of the two mems, what is the difference between an open mem and a closed mem? So the Gemara says, "I'm attracted." To the Shabbos, mem psucha maimur pasuach, mem stuma maimur sasum. Translate that in English. An open mem is a open utterance. A closed mem is a closed utterance. What is the difference between a open utterance and a closed utterance? So when we say utterance, whose utterance are we talking about? So we know that the power in all of the cosmos, the power of the universe is all coming, we learned last week in the Torah portion, it's from God's utterance. It says, and we say in Mishnah, it says, in ten utterances God created the world. So the utterance is referring to the divine utterance when God speaks the world into creation. God speaks the world, speaks the universe into existence. The open mem, so why is there a closed mem and and an open one? It's saying that there are two levels in creation. Two levels, two possibilities in how the worlds can exist. One possibility is the worlds can be deriving their energy from a closed utterance. When the worlds are receiving their energy from a closed utterance, then the worlds are protected, they're safe. And there's no possibility for any hacking, for any... For any corruption, everything is in a perfect state. The problem is that God decided not to create the world from the closed utterance. Or rather, he did create, let's put it this way, God did create the worlds from the closed utterance, from the closed mem. But those are very deep hidden worlds that we don't know of. They're worlds, mysterious worlds, very, very high. Very deeply connected to the ain't soul, very connected to God totally attached to their maker, totally um, uh, um, attached to their source. And of course, that's a world where there's only peace and harmony and love and only good because everybody is nullified to God. Then God decided, however, to continue creating the world from the open utterance. And the open utterance means that he speaks the world into existence where he allows the worlds to feel autonomous and to feel independent from him. That means an open open utterance. Let me rephrase, so you'll get a little better idea. It's the difference, see, utterance, speech, is made up of words. But we know there are two types of words. There are words of speech, and then there are words, words of thought. What's the difference between words of speech and words of thought? Words of speech are Projected outward, outside of you. And when you speak words, the the, the the when you speak words, those words go outside of you. And here's an amazing thing: when you put those words outside of you, you can't control them anymore. And sometimes we all have experienced it in our life. That someone took our words and twisted it and took it to a whole different attention that you didn't even mean, and I didn't want, and then you have to go around excusing and saying, I never said that, I never meant that, and if I said that, they totally took it out of context, and I didn't want to say that, but you're not in control of it. Once words are said, the, the spoken word or the written word can go anywhere. People can cut and paste, take only one sentence out of what you said, twist it and turn it. Your words are much safer when you're only thinking them because when you're thinking them, no one has any control over them they're inside of you but once you put them out there and more than that sometimes when you speak words and you intended the words to be said for a reason for whatever and the person takes your words that you said not only I'm talking about one thing is to do hope it against you but another way is that a person uses the words that you have spoken, which you spoke, to help them, and they use those very words to corrupt them. Now, based on those, ways, you told me so and so and so, and based on that, right, people once words are said, spoken out of you, it's terrible. It could be. It can go, obviously, being that we have no other way to communicate, we have to speak. We can communicate in thought, keep the words inside. We have to put them out. But that's what happens. Um, when God speaks the world, into existence from the spoken word, from the revealed utterance, what that means is He makes the world exists outside of Him. So to speak, outside of Him. Because there's no such a thing really being outside of God. So, but at least, as the worlds perceive themselves, when we say the worlds, we mean the worlds, and all the creatures in the worlds, and let's remember who else is included, ourselves. So, we exist... And it's with, with a sense of autonomousness, a sense of independence, a sense in which our existence to us is so concrete, it's so absolute, it's so strong. And as a result of that concreteness and absoluteness of our world and of the laws of nature and of the laws of science and of the laws of everything that 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 seem to be so rigid and set, that's all because God speaks them. In truth, there's this infinite power behind it all that is not limited to any to anything. Like the sages say, the one that said that oil should burn can say to vinegar to burn. Right? But that's that's not the way we feel. To us everything is set. This is the way things are. Because the world seems to be set in a certain powerful course that God set it with rules, and this is the way the universe works, and this is the way it is, these are laws of nature. And obviously, if I'm in the system of nature, and I am kind of making my way through nature, and I've kind of set myself up kind of a way to survive and to exist, I can put God a little bit at a distance. And the more secure I feel in my own existence, the further I can push God away, because then I don't need the God that much. And as a result of that, I can do whatever my heart desires, whether God wants or not. It's a problem. Why is it that every time, whenever we're in trouble and like things are falling and collapsing, that's when we turn to God and we say, "Please help, whatever." Because right, when when we feel secure and strong and whatever, so this kind of state of existence that God created us this way is because God created us through a revealed word. The rever- revealed mem. The revealed mem means that the world the words are revealed outside of God, thereby creating worlds that are very revealed, very strong existing. Okay? And therefore those existing worlds are not that tuned into God. They're not that tuned into their creator, to their source. They're a little they're tuned into themselves, and of course, there's variations in that how much they feel themselves and how much they surrender to God. Now, that open man also has, as we said before, it's called open, it's revealed. Open means revealed. But w- the reason it's also called open is because from that world that God intended, see, God did not want us to be his, to be His thoughts. Because if we would have been His thoughts, then we wouldn't have any free choice. Right? If we wouldn't feel independent, if we would feel that we're just a product of His thoughts... Then we would be all day just inside his imagination. So he would be totally controlling us. We would not be controlling ourselves. So we would have no free choice. If we had no free choice, there would be no purpose in creation. So the whole purpose of creation, the whole game, so to speak, that God wants to play, is not possible had he created the world from the closed man. So therefore he creates the world from the open man. But what does God want? God wants us to create us with free will. And what should we do with the free will that God has given us? Let's remember. What does God desire when He creates us with free will? What does He want us to do with the free will that He gave us is that we should choose to submit to Him and to serve. Well, we can accept Him willfully, not robotically, not like machines, Like we we should accept Him, Willfully, willfully surrender to Him. And guess what? It works very well. God creates and He has millions of billions of angels who have some degree of free will, not a lot, but a little bit, and that's exactly what they do. Salute, they do what God wants, all the time. They sing to him, they do it all day long. And souls, psh, these are like the greatest, souls in heaven, before they come down here. Problem is, as the creation continues to unfold, as it continues to unfold, you're going to have some troublemakers. Now, obviously, you understand something, that if the worlds would have been created from the closed mem. From God's thoughts, not from God's speech. It's impossible to have a troublemaker. Because you're in control. You control your thoughts. So the thoughts are... Com- that means a world that's created from God's thoughts means a world that is completely nullified to its creator. All there is is Hashem. Everybody sees everywhere that everything is Hashem. So Of course, everything is. everybody's doing God's will. It's not possible. There's no choice. Not- but when things are created from God's speech, this is what we call... That's called the, the, the speech of the Shekhinah. What happens is some of the energy leaks into the troublemakers. Those who decide, hey, if I have life, why do I have to serve God? I can do whatever I want. That's called the klipa. And that's called the chitzonim, the external, the extraneous forces. They start deriving energy from the shekhinah, which means from this power force of life, and they start derailing it and taking that energy to do whatever they want. And that's called the exile of the shekhinah. That means energy of the Shina is misused, just like when a person speaks, a person can take your words and destroy your life with the words that you said, and you didn't even intend it that way. God forbid they can destroy it. So too. Those that fight war, wage war against God from the very energy that God sustains them with. That's called that mem psucha, that open mem. That's leaving room for a whole lot of trouble. For a whole lot of trouble for the right now. But that's the status of the world. Ultimately, that's where God wants us to live. God wants us to live in this struggle of good and darkness, light and darkness, good and bad, good inclination, evil inclination. We're constantly being pulled in two directions. Our soul recognizes the truth because our soul is really, really, really a resident, in essence, of the concealed worlds, of the worlds that are totally attached to God. So our soul has has that in its memory. So our soul keeps on reminding us that's the conscience that we have all the time. Well, I'm not doing right. I'm a, I should be living for a higher purpose. I should be serving my God. What am I sitting over here thinking that I'm here, I can do whatever I want. The body, on the other hand, and the animal soul, which is part of the klipa, feels like a total rebel. Just wants to run around and then and, 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 and party and do whatever it wants, whatever it heart, the heart desires. So there is this great struggle going on, right? That's where God wants us to live and to serve Him in this, in this darkness. In this distorted consciousness that comes around in the revealed mem, when we reach the end of days and Mashiach is going to come, what is going to happen is l'mar ha'mishra that the, the closed the closed mem the closed mem which is God's thoughts. I just want to make one more. Well, I have to. Throw, I have to give a little just a little touch of Kabbalah. That we can understand what, what is happening. So the open Mem that we spoke about, that's the Shekhinah. That's called the attribute of Malchus. It's the last and final attribute that God engages the creation until Mashiach comes through the attribute of Malchus. That's where the life is diffused into the world. In other words, God is speaking His words to create the universe. That's what causes the world, so to speak, to be outsiders, exist outside of God, and have independence, as we said before. Now, the closed Mem... R is attributed to another attribute of God called the attribute of Bina. The, op- the open mem is the attribute of Malchus. The closed mem is Bina. In general, Bina, which means understanding, is where thought takes place, the inner world, the in- inside. So it's interesting, it says, that when God creates worlds, the Zohar says, he creates two types of worlds, almond steamen, concealed worlds, the law is galleon that are not revealed. And then he creates all Gallian revealed worlds. So what does that mean? There are worlds that are nurtured by Bina. They're created in the Bina realm. And if they're created in the Bina realm, what are they? One with their maker, one with their creator, nullified to God. And then there are the worlds that are created on the outside from Malchus, which as we said before, are ex- separated, disconnected, and where we have all the, all, the, all, the, all the problems. Okay. Now, the chidush over here that we're saying, when Mashiach comes, the closed mem, we spoke about the closed mem, which is the bina, the, is the light of bina is going to be so powerful and so strong. The light that is shining in God's thought, in God's mind and Hashem's, is going to be so powerful and so strong that it's not going to get diluted by the time it comes into the divine speech. So now let's say this. Usually in a human being, when you have a brilliant thought and an idea, you have this brilliance in your mind, then, by the time the the, the 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 idea of the mind gets down to the emotion, because what comes after intellect? Comes emotions. What happens with emotion, you only have a trace of the brightness of the mind. Emotions, you get excited. You get excited about what you learned, about what you studied, about what you heard. It's awesome. It's great. But the emotions are not as illuminated as the intellect. That's why, because there's a narrow connection between the brain and the heart. There's a narrow channel. That means it's reduced. And then how much of that brilliance and clarity gets translated from the emotion into behavior? Into speech. It gets weaker and weaker and weaker. Until it gets into speech, you have a little, little tiny bit of what was before. So that's what we're saying. In God's bina, there is all the truth, all the light. By the time it gets down to God's speech, it's diminished and diminished and diminished. And the time it gets into the creation, the creations are so distorted, so to speak, from the truth that God is everything and God is everywhere because they're being intentionally, it's not by accidentally. Hashem made it and purposely, that there should be this great distance between his Bina and Malchus. Bina is huge, infinite light, Malchus is tiny, small, little crumb. The quality of Mashiach is, that when Mashiach will come, the light of Bina is going to be so powerful and so strong, it's going to, sh- it's going to shine all the way into Malchus. So the Malchus is going to be the Shekhinah is going to be receiving the illumination on the same level as Bina. She's going to be so enlightened with the light of the Ein Sof. That means that the words of the Shekhinah are going to be such intelligent words, I means they're going to be filled with the intelligence of God's truth, that that's going to, and that's the way the energy of creation, the energy of the cosmos is going to create the world. So the creations that are going to be created are going to be filled with divine knowledge, now we have to search God. Now we have to probe and fight and look and explore and work through science and this and that and see that really there is a God behind it all. that's really running it all. And even then it's challenging sometimes. Certain things of science could challenge our minds. and, and we, It's a whole struggle because the world is dense, thick and coarse, blocking especially the time we encounter the creation. The creation has already, the energy of God has gone through all the klipos. And what are Kalippas supposed to do? They're supposed to block God. So what do you expect? The fact that we look at the world and we don't always see God in it? Of course you won't see God in it. You have Kalippas whose entire thing, shells, are to block. Let alone that the whole thing is already diminished a billion fold the time it gets into the divine speech. But when Mashiach comes, the words are going to be so powerfully illuminated with the intelligence of Bina. Which really contains within itself the truth of the Ain Soth, that is of the infinite one. So that infinite reality is going to carry through all the way into God's speech, spill over into the, into the spiritual worlds, translate without any diminishment as it will come down lower and lower lower, blast the physical world with godly light. And as it's doing that, we will be super conscious of the Creator and the God who created it all. That's the meaning of Lamar Beha Mishra. Ha- Misra. Misra is Malchus, the government. The government is Malchus. Malchus is going to be increased with what? Its energy is going to be increased. Its illumination is going to be increased with a big mem. With a closed mem. Instead of it being an... Means that the, instead of the open mem, in the place of the open mem is going to be the closed mem. And automatically when you have that intelligence, the, the rebels disappear. No one wants to rebel. This is truth. So there's no more, as we said before, there's no leak, there's no more hole, there's no more place for the sin to get in. The sin can only get in at the Pesach, at the door being open, it's closed. So therefore, what happens? What will that bring? Let me just very quickly finish this. That will bring Shalom Enkets. That will bring, that increased awareness of God is going to bring powerful, I mean, an infinite peace. Let's understand why. This is just one Otherwise, I won't finish the whole thing about the, the measurements. We'll have to leave that for another class. But what I will try to conclude with is what's the idea of shalom in kate, infinite peace? That is, as we said before, is going to affect even the animals, and it affected the animals already in the teva because they lived in this closed mem. But what is the idea? You see, um, war and intolerance comes from. Narrowness, what's called katnos ha-mochen inexpansive mind. When the mind is narrow and small and constricted, then there is a there's intolerance. When there is a broadness of mind, what's called gadnos hadas, a broadness of mind, then there is a far greater tolerating ability. That's why we find that people children get the minute you provoke a child, forget about it. I'm not your friend. I hate you. I'm not going to look at you ever again. Whether you're my mother, whether you're my father. whether you're I'm, Like children, they become best friends. Two minutes later, they're the biggest enemies. Right? And there's like an immediate reaction. When you grow a little older and you have a little more of an expansive of mind, you're able to deal with a certain provocation and not react right away. Now, people that are generally immature and childish have a problem with that and will lash out the immediate some, immediately something is done not exactly the way they like it or the way they want or something offensive whatever it is forget about it forget about it I'm writing you out of my will <laughs> goodbye I'm over with you right? But people that have broadness of mochin are able to receive are able to, um, to, to, to handle a situation where they're upset about something and it's not that they don't get upset I mean, you did something wrong, I'm upset about it. But you know what? I don't have to react now. I don't have to react. I can still be kind and loving to you. Even though I have a complaint, the day will come when it's right and appropriate. I will deal with it. We'll talk about it. Maybe I will punish you too. But it doesn't have to be this instant. With children, it always works that way. You know what it is. Women are, are generally very emotional because they're in the home all day. So they get caught up. So instantly they have to... The, 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 the beauty, generally, of having a father in the house is because you're not that involved in pulled into it, you can be a little more detached. I mean, a little more detached, the child needs to be disciplined, but it's not always the best to do it right now. Have you ever thought about a child really misbehaves and you'll talk to him about it a week later? You know how much more powerful that will be than an instant? Sometimes there's supposed to be instant... Are, um, an automatic instant effect I'm not saying that 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 that, that work. But when something don't have to do anything right away They're expecting that you're going to kill them on the spot Well, talk about it a whole, It's a whole different story And it says an interesting thing It says that Shlomo HaMelech That God, the day that the Holy Temple That King Solomon bint, built the Temple It was the happiest day in God's life It's called the day of his marriage Or the day of when he moved into his home With his beloved wife it was the happiest day. It says in another verse that says, Al-Apiv al Hamasi, On my anger and my, and, my, and my wrath was this city from the day it was built. That Jerusalem was on God's anger from the day it was built. Why? Because the day King Solomon bin, built the temple, on that very same day, he married the princess of Egypt, Pharaoh's daughter. And God very was very angry. And the Beis HaMikdash was destroyed later because of this. At the very foundation, it was built. Now, what was God feeling then? Two complete conflicting emotions. On the one hand, this was the happiest day, and he allowed the festivities. You couldn't tell even one drop during the festivities that something was done insulting to God. That his king, the king of the Jewish people, the son of King David, like the anointed one, went and, 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 and married the, a Gentile woman. I don't know exactly, I'm, not, I'm seeing it today, into the halachic element of how he was allowed to, what, where, where I don't know. But the idea is that the, the Gemara says at that moment God was extremely annoyed, but at the same time, it was the happy time. The base of the English was built full of festivities and nothing. It was kept quiet. Why? Expansive of mind. There's a certain part in the Torah where God warns the Jewish people, and God says to them, In the Torah, God says, after the Jews sinned with the golden calf, God says to them, I'm going to send my my angel to lead you into the land. I'm sending an angel to lead you into the land. Be careful. Because he's not going to be forgiveness. He's, He's not going to tolerate. You're going to do something wrong. He's going to whack you so hard. You better be careful. So it says, explanation, is that since God is sending an angel, he's an immature, he's a child. The moment he sees someone misbehave, <laughs> relax. Okay, he misbehave. They'll, they'll do tshuva. They'll repent. They'll, they'll fix things up. It goes crazy. He's an angel. He can't tolerate. Why? Narrowness of mind. Narrowness of mind creates the ability to not be able to see beyond the here and the now. This Expansion of mind causes the, the ability to be able to deal with, you know, to have two opposite feelings and not have to react That it doesn't consume you completely just this or just that. After Mashiach will come, there will be differences amongst people and amongst nations. It's not like we're all going to have the exact same ideas. We're all human. We're all people. We have our ideas. We have our different thoughts. We have our sometimes different conflicting desires and wants. We're all going to be serving God. But even in serving God, there's arguments and there's different ways of doing things and how to improve and there will be. Yet, no one will pull a knife. There won't be any, any highway, uh, road road rage, or things like that. Why? Because in general, all of existence will be living in expansive Mohan. Why are we going to be in expansive Mohan? Because malchus, the shechina, is going to be an expansive Mohan. That's what we said earlier. The higher he or the higher mem, is going to sh- illuminate the lower mem, meaning the, the misra is going to be broad and expansive. More than that, just to take this one step deeper. The reason why there are predatory animals in the world, like, obviously they're created by God, but the real reason why they act in this impulse, in this, in this, in this constant, is because up there in heaven, there is rage, there is anger. Sins that we do, things that happen in the world, cause God to get upset. Now, now these gavuros, these, these sparks of gavuros, cause these rage raging energies that are way up there in god when little sparks of these raging energies fall down so to speak is a kabbalistic idea called falling of energy as it falls down and it makes its way into this world it becomes an you know it enters into these animals so when an animal suddenly snarls when a grizzly and he sees people and he suddenly runs and he attacks where is the origins of that energy? We have to always understand say, what promoted that? What caused that rush of that killing desire to kill it? This is a fallen spark of these supernal raging forces of rage or anger that there are. When Mashiach will come and Gand will be, so to speak, the, the governing force, not God, but the governing force of God, which is the Shekhinah and the forces of will be filled with the expansiveness of God's goodness and desire to give. So the rage will also be lost. Hashem's upsetness at certain things that might not be exactly good will also be lost in kindness. So there won't be any rage in the supernal world. So there will be nothing there to trigger the animal's wrath. So when the animal is standing there, and it's looking at, at, at when an animal when, when a lion will see a sheep usually what hits the, the lion instantly, like that it, it's its nature to pounce, to go for it, when it sees an impala, when it sees a, a buffalo. It's, it, it, and it can't help it. It's got, and really, we have to realize that all nature is really rooting itself back to supernal forces of gavuras, the are called the fallen gavuras, that are there in heaven, they're there in their source. But once they're, 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 they're sweetened in their source, so there's nothing there to trigger it. So it's like when you want to get angry, but there's no energy. <laughs> there's nothing there. So there won't be anything to enrage an animal. There won't be any gavuras left because there will be gantlas and there will be lamah, there'll be expansive das. But when we say the das will expand, it will mean in all of existence. Incredible expansive das. Expansive das means I don't I don't know, that that all rage, anger, all all of that will be lost in goodness and in kindness. In love, and in and in and in, and, in, and in beauty, so be'ezrat Hashem, we will merit, uh, as we've been in the teva and seen that very, very, very soon, momentarily, the world, the entire world, will enter into Noach's teva. And I just want to say that the, the various different dimensions that we speak about and about the teva, they represent the drawing down of the infinite light into the various dimensions of creation. Um, the three—I'll just say one thing—the the, the, the three hundred cubits long is because the light of the Kesser of the Ein Sof is shining in the three worlds. The upper world is three lower worlds called Briya, Yitzire, and Asiya. That means that all three levels of existence, all the way down to the world of Asiya, is permeated with the light of Kesser, the, and therefore, with, with, as we said before, with this expansive consciousness, with this expansive broadness, and therefore there is no there is no animosity. The same is also the fifty. 50 represents the 50 gates of Bina, which are 50. And the gates of Bina means that the, the broadness of the mind is reaching the heart. That's what the gates are. That means all, all of our emotions are going to be informed. Now we have emotions that are uninformed emotions. They're lost. Just the people have emotions that don't have any intelligence behind it. When Mashiach will come, all the emotions will be informed emotions. Rich emotions, intelligent emotions. The 50 gates of Bina, that's the fifty. that's the 50 cubits. 30 cubits represent the three mochen on their own, the chachma binadas, on their own, not as they relate to the midos and that. And the one cubit on the top is the pure keser itself, which means all that will reside in the cosmos, and it resided in the teva. And as a result of that, the teva was a place of pure, harmonious unification and total oneness. May we merit to see that beauty very very soon if you want the long version and all the details again this Thursday night at 8 8:30 over here at Mayan all right take care everyone